0: This is Dr. Saba Marouf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Unsung Heroes Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. We are back with episode 29, if you can believe it. Can you believe it, Jess? No, it goes. That's why can crazy. I can't,
1: <laughs> believe, I can't believe we had 29 shows already. <laughs> I know.
0: I think that's pretty cool. We're almost up. We're almost up to 30, mm-hmm. um, and I am here in the studio with my sound engineer Jess. How are you, Jess? Today I'm good. How are you? Good. Thank you. We're missing our co-host Calvin Moore. He's under the weather, so our thoughts and prayers are with him. I hope you feel better soon, Calvin. Um, but welcome back to our listeners and. Um, Welcome back to Unsung Heroes, and where our purpose is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And, you know, really our aim and our hope is that by sharing these stories of positivity, we will inspire you to live a life of purpose and action. And I'm super excited today to have a very special guest, um, someone that I really look up to who's a leader in our community and beyond. Um, and a warm welcome to Dr. Jacqueline Al sayed Thank Thank you. It's so I'm so happy to be here. Oh, so happy to have you. Um, you have such an uh, incredible and impressive um, bio and resume, and so I'm just really excited to be able to share your voice and um, you know, and the years of service and expertise um, that you've kind of that you've been you know involved in for so many years. So, thank you for being here. And I know that you're very busy. You're a very, very busy professional too. So, I really appreciate your time. Thanks. So just to kind of as a brief introduction, I don't want to spend too much talking. I want to allow you to talk, but um, I do want to introduce you. um, And um, you have a really impressive, like, as I mentioned, um, resume, but um, Dr. Jacqueline Uh, or Jackie, as she's well known in the community, is the Vice President for Academic Affairs at Mary Grove College. And she is actually a professor of mechanical and aerospace engineering and has served on the faculty at Kettering University for 18 years, eventually earning the position of Associate Provost. In addition to her work in academia, she's also served in industry and government. She began her career as an engineer for General Motors, where she completed the requirements for a commercial vehicle license. She's a four-time gubernatorial appointee to the Michigan Truck Safety Commission and as commissioner served as chair for two terms. And she's also chaired the Driver's Education Advisory Committee and the Motorcycle Safety Advisory Committee for the Michigan Department of State, work that's resulted in new legislation for our state of Michigan. And currently, doctor Al El-Sayed has served as an officer on the Bloomfield Hills Board of Education and on several national committees. She's married and has three children, one of whom is Dr. Abdul Al who is running for governor of Michigan and who we were fortunate to have on our show um, a few weeks ago. So, and I add that as that's definitely something to be proud of, uh, but you have so many, um, so many accolades and I'm sure that you, I mean, having you as a role model and mother for him has been so influential and, you know, formed kind of the person that he is today. Oh, thank so you. I kind of um, add that.
1: <laughs> it really comes from my grandmother's, you know, and uh, uh, their leadership in our state as well.
0: Oh, so. wow. Mm-hmm. Oh, we'll talk about that. So... You know, kind of just to jump right in. um, We were talking about this before we went on air, but um, you know, as I'm reading your bio, I'm just like, there's so many layers. And um, you know, as we say, as Muslims, mashallah. Like, I don't want to, you know, (laughs) I want to say we always say mashallah um, when we're compliment giving compliments. Um, But you are a woman of STEM, Mm -hmm. and um, so you know, mentioned a little bit about your academic background. But why do you think it's important for women to pursue these careers and kind of like? you know how did you when did you realize this was your passion and um just a little bit about your educational background and how that's kind of been a springboard for your other um Mm-hmm. Achievements.
1: Okay. Well, the first thing you ask is why is that important? Well, it's really important when – I mean, what do engineers do and what do individuals in STEM do? But we solve problems and we provide innovations for the future. So it's really important to have a diverse body of engineers and scientists that are solving these problems and who are bringing the innovations to light because – um when we don't sometimes we miss something or we don't seize opportunities that uh are really important i in my mm-hmm. classroom i always mention about the airbag for example and um it's it's used uh to save lives in in passenger cars well when they first mm-hmm. had the airbag they were own i mean everyone on the team uh were men and uh they were testing it only on the 90th percentile male dummies, right? Mm. thinking that if we save the the biggest people, right, then we'd save everyone, right? And it comes kind of like a group think that what happened was that they passed it in the driver's side and they said, that's good. Let's do it on the passenger side. So then they put it on the passenger side. Um And the standards pushed it very quickly in order to save lives, all with great intentions. Mm -hmm. But what happened um, is that when they actually rolled this out so quickly that there are some gaps. And one of the gaps is that um, babies in reverse car seats were also on the passenger car's um, front seats. So in order for an airbag to explode so quickly – to save a 90th percentile male, it actually decapitated oh, babies.
0: They were sitting in the back seat of the in passenger the front
1: seat. Oh, they used to send hey, the mm. front seat, and that was, um, kind that of warm was, tra- then. yeah. And so, um, this is mm-hmm. an example of how having a diverse team that are solving the world's problems and finding innovations is actually could be much safer, much better, and. And we'll come to a better solution faster. So that's why it's really important for women to pursue these roles because we have a very
0: strong and unique perspective on the world. Hmm. Wow, that's so interesting. I never thought of it that way. I mean, you know, we talk about we talked about this before too, encouraging um, our girls to pursue those um, subjects and fields of math and science, um, but. I never thought of it that way, that that's so directly impacting Mm -hmm. how things are designed, things that we use on an everyday basis. True. Wow. So you have a wealth of experience, an array of roles and accomplishments, including service in the government. Can you tell us a little bit about um, kind of growing up and your background and what's inspired you to live um, such a life of service? Okay,
1: well, I'm I'm born in Lansing, Michigan, and so I'm a lifelong Michigander. I grew up in uh, Gratiot County, and specifically St. Louis, Michigan, which was a very small is it is a very small town is my where I graduated high school. Um, but I'm from a family of K twelve educators. Um, a very large family. My dad is the oldest of seven. My mom is the oldest of four. And I'm the, their eldest, right? Mm. And so I'm the eldest of two eldest, which makes me, um, uh, the, the top cousin. They call it <laughs> the top, the alpha <laughs> oh. cousin, right? And, uh, so growing up in a rural area, um, and having being part of a, a family who are educators, I really think shaped my person. Her perception of the world and my role in the world. Um, both my grandmothers had their master's degrees in education, which at the time, you know, and my great grandmother is one of the first women to get a bachelor's in uh, from college in um, the state of Michigan. So coming from such a family and living their lives, serving students and trying to make the world a better place, I think that really did shape. Me As well as the fact that coming from working class background, you know, um, I, I it was imparted to me that the value of hard work, persistence, determination, um, and doing the right thing, you know. And so I think that it's a very
0: um, fundamental to my psyche. Wow. And how did that kind of – so that's kind of what inspired you to live this life of mm-hmm. service and – and I mean, again, looking at your bio, it's such a diverse array of um, of roles um, from the school board to, you know, like the, this is just interesting, the Truck Safety Commission and Drivers Education Advisory Committee. How did you get involved in those, um, you know, these committees uh, for the uh, state of Michigan, this role in industry and government? Okay. And how's well, that been for you?
1: Yeah. So I, um, I, came from the background that I mentioned. Uh, and I went to uh, General Motors Institute, which is now Kettering University, which has mandatory cooperative education. Uh, and uh, so at 18 years old, I I started working at GM um, as an engineer in General Motors truck group. And so I You know, felt like as an engineer, if I was going to build big rigs, then I should be able to drive them and understand them. So I completed my requirements for um, driving big rigs. Mm. Um, Later, when I, again, found my passion for education and went back and got my master's and my Ph.D. uh, and joined faculty, I was actually coming out of my classroom. I was an associate professor at the time and a mom just you know, teaching my class. And I came back to my office and I picked up, somebody called me, picked up the phone and it was governor's appointment office. And they're asking me, they had read my bio on Kettering University website. And they said, you know, you'll be perfect for the Michigan Truck Safety Commission. We need someone to represent all four-year colleges and universities. And you have a background in the trucking industry and you had held a a commercial vehicle license. Um, can you apply by tomorrow? Wow. <laughs> and I'm going like, I really don't know what they're talking about. I'm going, like, <laughs> you want to make an appointment for me to see the governor? I had never heard of this at all. Right. But I applied and sure enough, I was appointed by the governor. Um, and so as I under as I became more knowledgeable about the commission, the Michigan Truck Safety Commission Oversees the Michigan Truck Safety Fund, and this is a uh, these are funds uh, which are put in place by the Teamsters and the Michigan State Police. And there was a big initiative in 1986, which um, was a uh, which added a fifteen dollar fee to the licensing which goes to um, help um, promote uh, safety on Michigan roads. Mm-hmm. And so the Commission um, has. The commanding officer of the Michigan State Police, Secretary of State, um, Office of Highway Safety Planning, leader of the Teamsters. You know there was there's eleven individuals on this team, and I represented all four-year po- colleges and universities. Um, and what we do is we gave money out. I'm no longer on the commission; I, I did it for nine years. But um, we 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 give money or we grant money. To enforcement, to do the stat operations that the state police do around, uh, big rigs and, and, and passenger cars in order to, for enforcement of the laws. And also we grant money to the Michigan Center for Truck Safety, which helps truck drivers and trains them to be better, um, drivers on our roadways. And mm. so that's what the Truck Commission does. Um, but being a data person, what happened is I started looking at the data and seeing where we're putting the money, right? That happens when you're an engineer. You're, you're good <laughs> with numbers. Um, and so I found that we were putting all of our funds, or the majority of the funds for years, decades, really, we're going to make our truck drivers to educate our truck drivers. But if you look at the data in the ma- in the majority of, of the fatal and serious accidents, it was actually the fault of the passenger car drivers' around behavior around mm. the big rigs. And like I say, if it's a tie, you lose. Mm-hmm. Right? The passenger cars can't compete with, and there's yeah. laws, you gotta stay out of their blind spots. Mm-hmm. So this is what led me into the driver's education and the motorcycle safety, because at the time, um, I was appointee, uh, of Jennifer Granholm, but I was working with Secretary of State Terry Lynn Land, and mm-hmm. she's one of my commissioners. I was, I be, I was elected chair, nominated by the, the commanding office of Michigan State Police. And so I was telling her about my data. And what happened was she told me, well, they had just taken driver's ed from the Department of Education to the Department of State, and they had put a sunset clause on the, orig- on the existing um, legis- uh, legislation. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, if you need, when I was having this conversation, if you need some help, I know something about education and being a professor and about tra- traffic safety, I'd be happy to help you. And wham, I was on that committee on Monday and then I became chair. So what the drive, that's really has to do with driver's education laws. So I led a team of private and public infor- um, providers and law enforcement in to give the recommendations to driver's ed. Um, and our you see, our our new drivers and our young drivers are our most unsafe drivers. Mm, so the yeah. overarching goal is, of course, save lives on Michigan roadways, right? And so that's the goal of of my work in traffic safety.
0: Wow. And, I mean, all that was possible because of all these different elements of your background and your training and education. And then it took also – I think what's interesting and sometimes as women were um, – I mean, I think studies show this, too, and we're hesitant to kind of let people know that, look, this is kind of what I'm trained in or this is what I'm specialized in and putting ourselves out there, being confident enough to say, well, actually, I have this background in this and this. And so it kind of took, you know, that strength and confidence within you also to kind of and then make kind of your own uh, role, not your own role, but like fulfill a very important need and role. So that's really interesting. Wow. Now you're also, uh, you've been on the school board as well, Bloomfield Hill School Board. How, how many years have you been on the?
1: Been? I'm starting my eighth year.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Wow. And so, you know, we've been talking about local ele- elections and things like that, especially the last year. Um, mm-hmm. There's kind of more of an interest, but you've been doing this, as you mentioned, for several years. Why is it important, in your opinion, um, in serving this position and being involved in the school, but specifically on the school board, on a school board level?
1: Right. Well... You know our our children are our future, and education is really the pathway for our children to be able to um, make it the brightest future possible so um i I really believe that being an educator is a calling in life, and that really which is led me from General Motors into higher education and also then also to k twelve when you start looking at the entire pipeline right um So I was actually – the interesting thing you mentioned is that we don't always put ourselves out there. And I wouldn't say I put myself out there. I would say that truthfully, I always just responded to being recruited. Mm. Even the Michigan Truck Safety Commission, right? I got a call. I didn't think about it and I responded. Um, But sometimes we're scared to do that too, to respond. The community asked me, you know, I had Mm -hmm. people who asked me to run. I had just come back from being an American Council on Education fellow and spent a year studying education. And I thought it wasn't really anything I had thought about doing before. But I thought, you know, if if they're willing to meet my campaign committee, then I'm willing (laughs) to to run. And and so we did win. Um, But education is so key and. I find that our educators really appreciate having an educator on the board. Mm. And I'm really proud of the fact that we have such a diverse board, that we come from different uh, perspectives, law, finance, PTO. And and so as a team, we are really able to be a very productive and and um and excellent board.
0: Wow. And that's, I mean, an excellent uh, district too and a very – diverse district as well
1: Mm -hmm. well that's why i'm there actually Mm -hmm. because you mentioned abdul Mm -hmm. and so abdul of course is a smart smart child um i've i raised him since he was three and uh i was always uh, then trying because my background with all my family being educators um i always was very interested in the schools like i like all parents right Mm -hmm. and and so when he was in first grade um, the first grade teacher pulled me in, and she said and i didn 't know why, but she told me it isn 't that it isn 't that he 's not getting his work done it 's that he 's so interesting that no one else is getting their work done <laughs> <laughs> so he he 's very charismatic, yeah. very cute, and very smart, and mm-hmm. so he 's learning that he can really change the entire classroom." Um, and becoming the focal point of the tension. So, uh, they tested him and they found him gifted. And so in, we were in Miami at the time and they put him in, um, a gifted program twice a week. And then three days a week, he would have to make up the, the work that, um, he had. Mm-hmm. Missed when mm-hmm. he was in these, uh, these other two days, which took care of the problem, which taught me something, that gifted children are also special needs children. My mm. grandmother is a pioneer uh, mm. for special education in Michigan. She helped bring Special Olympics. There's a school named after her. Wow. But And so I was raised um, – You know, and my my parents had me when they were still in college, so I spent time with my grandmother. I went to her classrooms with her, right? And so I was raised with an understanding of all different types of of students and the importance of education. But also, um, gifted children also need to be challenged at the right amount at the right time. Otherwise, they can get Mm -hmm. you know too mischievous, Mm -hmm. uh, or they kind of like Einstein, go inside and have this inner world. and so when we were moving back to Michigan, I was really looking for a school district that could provide that challenge but also be diverse. Because mm-hmm. here in Michigan, truthfully, we have quite a segregated um, – we have a segregated society uh, but also in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I was coming back to work at um, Kettering University in Flint Um but I needed to find a school district that could handle a small, misch- you know, smart, mischievous uh, <laughs> young man of color, mm-hmm. right, um, and give him the background and the challenge that he need to thrive. Um, but also I didn't want to be in a district where he would be one of the few students of color. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I actually after looking at all the all of the data and and really doing a lot of search I decided on Bloomfield Hills. Um it took us though 50 miles to drive to work. To in order to have Our children in Bloomfield School District, when we were working in Flint, it was 50 miles one way to work. And we did. I was there 18 years. My husband was there 22 years. And we were driving back and forth.
0: But I always say that's a really good return on our investment. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. What a sacrifice. So you lived. I mean, obviously, you you moved to Bloomfield, but your work was in Flint. Both of you. Yeah. What does your husband do?
1: He's yeah. also a professor of engineering, Ooh. and and we were both working at Kettering for some time. He now is the director of the School of Engineering Technology at Eastern Michigan. He started wow. in July. Um, and uh, so we spent many years at Kettering, and we love it, and experiential learning. Uh, but then after a couple decades, basically, uh,
0: we both took different jobs. Wow. So how did you, you know— I always kind of come back to this question, and I really do try to ask both the men and, fem- and women that I have on the show. But, you know, as being a mom and um, being so, um, so very invested in your children and, but also involved, uh, very invested in your profession, how did you kind of balance that or find that, you know, the new term is kind of work-life integration mm-hmm. you know, well, over the years?
1: Yeah, well, being a professor um, allowed me flexible. Flexibility,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, because uh, in higher education and as a professor, we have classes, we have uh, uh, we have meetings, but besides that, be, we do have some some flexibility as to when we um, are grading our exams, uh, and also we tend to have a semester, you know, a semester off at Kettering. It, it was a term off in other institutions; it might be the summer off, like in K twelve. So that provided me with. Um, flexibility uh when i had uh when i gave birth i was able to stack my terms off um and have a longer time so to start breastfeeding and and mm-hmm. really be able to have a good foundation so i would say that that's one thing i kind of call it work like integration mm-hmm. because my children could also go to school with me if they were sick or if they had a day off they could go to school with me and and be in my classroom and and so that really afforded me that flexibility. I guess the other thing is that I really believe coming from a family of educators and coming because I had such strong role models and I, in my grandmothers, I also believe that, stu- you know, children don't learn just what we say. They learn what we actually do and so modeling the behavior and having your children with you as they model the behavior and maybe also coming from that pioneer stock back in the day that children work along their parents mm-hmm. and they they actually learn by doing i really think that it's 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 a important important part of of raising the next generation is to have them working with us and seeing what we do and and learning the importance
0: by being with us. Well, that's so true, and I want to. Uh, I also like to add that you're also now first-time grandmother. Yeah, so congratulations, Emily. Yes,
1: Aww. we're so excited.
0: <laughs> we we're have our exciting. first
1: grandchild, and uh so that even makes it even more important, right? Mm-hmm. That we think about the future and
0: and the world we're leaving for our children. And then you is also now your as a mother, mother-in-law, grandmother role model for you know, for Sarah as a new mother, too, and that you were able to do it. And and I mean, I guess also working myself, I know it's not always easy. There's some weeks that you don't feel as, quote, balanced, but I think integration is kind of a better term for it. And some other weeks are better, but it's true. But I think it makes me I know it makes me a better mom. I think it would be really it's it's very challenging to uh, I mean, I really give it to stay at home moms. It's Mm -hmm. very hard work. Um But also working mothers, too. It's a lot to juggle and yeah, And, and we balance. have had
1: those conversations because having uh, – I know talking to my grandmothers or my aunts, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and hearing how they uh, navigated those obstacles or those challenges, that was really helpful. And it's validating. It, it's just really important to have that community mm. uh, to be able to – I think women mentoring women is mm. so important in any field and in life in general.
0: Yes. Yeah, definitely agree. Um, so, you know, we kind of going back, you mentioned, so you're um, as a four time appointee to the Michigan truck safety commission. Um, I kind of wanted to, you know, just kind of ask you and, you know, our listeners that can't see you, you know, you are a visible Muslim woman as, because um, you wear a hijab or headscarf. So as a female and a visible minority, um, you know, well, I mean, you know, Michigan Truck Safety Commission. For maybe some people, they wouldn't really expect to see you there. Um, but tell us about, I guess, any challenges or any even discrimination you might have faced in in any of these. I mean, that role, but any of the kind of the roles that you've mm-hmm. that you found yourself that you've been in.
1: Well, being a woman and being you know, a woman in engineering, and also being a Muslim woman, you know, there's there's prejudice that happens in both areas and. Uh, so, I think that when I was younger, I really didn't notice as much. I just, you know, I, I, I wasn't understanding that this, some of the things that happened to me weren't just to me. They, they were misogynistic. Right, but I didn't know it, <laughs> you know. And I always got along so well with all of my colleagues. I'm I was always the only woman, you know, mm-hmm. in my classes or in my in, where I worked when I worked on the line. I was based the only, you know, co op student um, and woman co op student in manufacturing. And that was a very uh, back in the 80s in manufacturing, they weren't the laws that they have now, and so. Actually, when you entered the manufacturing plant, you know, if you've ever seen gone to the River Rouge plant or something, you have the the people on both sides and the vehicles are going through and they have these machines, right? Well, back in the day, there weren't the laws that they have now and catcalling wasn't illegal. And so when any woman entered the plant, the men on both sides of the line would jingle their, their um, machines and catcall. And right. you could actually hear... Where any any woman, if any woman was walking through the plant, you would hear this roar. It was like the wave in the Michigan games. (laughs) You would hear it. You would hear the the roar travel as she was traveling through the plant. So when you're walking, imagine you're 18 years old, you're a co-op student, and you're walking through the plant, and the men on both sides of you are roaring as you're walking through that's, that's, it's illegal now. You can't whistle, you can't catcall, you can't do anything like that. That would be illegal. But back in the day, it wasn't illegal. And so I guess that would be the most prominent example of what a woman in engineering had to face. Um, And, and so you compartmentalized it. And you, you said, it's, it's really not about me, because they're doing this to every woman, Mm -hmm. right? And somehow, people accepted it. So you were just like, okay, that's boys being boys or whatever they would say, right? And so you yourself also didn't really take it, internalize it as much. Mm -hmm. It did affect you, but you didn't really, it wasn't the thing to do to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And you had to get through it. Like I, that was part of, I had to get a satisfactory worth performance in order to continue in my, because it was a full scholarship, right? And so I had to, right? And so I just Look forward. You always look where you always look like you know where you're going. Even if you're going to the bathroom, you never you know you just go straight and go st- and you're very professional. Um, so it was only when I got older and more mature, and I was a professor and other alumni. Also, we were talking and we were going like, "Wow, we didn't realize that was you know." When we started thinking about it, that was really hostile. That was a real hostile environment, and we're like talking, we're talking to each other about it, but. um so that would be extreme. But in general, um, you know, I always got along really well with my, my colleagues, um, and, and I always loved being an engineer, and I loved being a professor. Um, there, are, there were instances where um, there is bias, and after you've gone through it for a while, and they've actually done studies in higher education, and if a woman's name is on a resume or a man's mm-hmm. name is on the same resume— Both men and women will rate it 20% less in the STEM fields. So they've actually shown that this is the case. And you kind of, I don't know, as, as, as I became more mature... And look back on it, then I could help other women as they're coming up. I have so many students, like all of my Facebook are, many of them are my former students, right? And, and many of them, I was an advisor to Alpha Sigma Alpha Sorority for like 15 years. So a lot of them are young women in engineering, and now having families. But it's so, but to have a role model or have someone who's gone through it before you, it gives, it helps it helps. Mm. I didn't have that. Um, and so it took me a longer time until I was actually an ACE fellow. And then I gave myself, I'd never worked for a woman in my life. And so I asked for, we get matched with presidential mentors. And I asked for a woman mentor. And uh, my mentor is President Maria Clave at Harvey Mudd College. And she's a former dean of engineering at Princeton. And mm. I spent a year um, and she really helped me kind of at during that time understand women in engineering and, and the role. And she's a very vocal um, uh, advocate for women in in STEM. And uh, if you Google anything about her, you'll find her in New York Times and everything talking about it. So having that year wow. was really very helpful. So it made – and and I know that because I hadn't had a woman mentor, even though I was – I think I was in my 40s at that time. Mm. Um, It it affected me in a way. I'm sure it affected me in a way and my brain in a way that was so positive and which made me realize really the importance of mentoring for everyone. Um, And it isn't just women in STEM. It's any minority demographic group within a majority. Very similar thing happens. What happens is you start start actually telling yourself what – the external world is telling you, which then becomes a thing called imposter syndrome, where you are telling yourself, you're basically repeating what the world is telling you you're stupid or, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever you're telling and you're not, but it's an external thing. So you have to watch yourself talk. And so by being able to do that, um, then I can tell people way before, you know, I ever knew about it. I can tell young women or young students of color, you know, this is something you got to watch this and this is not you this is any minority within a majority this happens in the truck safety commission you asked me specifically i i have to say that i think that jennifer granholm was very very excited to have a diverse um uh uh to have many a lot of diversity in her appointees mm.
0: uh
1: also secretary land uh we worked very well together and i always think it's pretty pretty um fun that I was an appointee of a—I myself always consider myself an independent, but I was appointee of a Democratic governor, and I was working very closely with the Republican Secretary of State, and we were able to get this legislation passed because, you know, women working together, just trying to do the right thing for the state of Michigan. Um, I don't necessarily recall anything specific— um, there's only one thing that I thought was kind of funny that when I filled out the form and I was appointed, they told me, well, randomly, randomly, some people, because it's whenever political parties do an appointment, then the other, the other political party will randomly choose some of the appointees to do a background check. And of course, I'm thinking like, <laughs> okay, I know I'm going to randomly be <laughs> be selected and sure enough I was randomly selected and they did my background check. And so when I got to the commission the first day, I asked, "Um, who else had their all the other appointees, you know, who else had their background checked?" And the only other person was the um individual from of Italian descent who reckon who was um appointed to to represent organized labor. Wow. Hmm. Jim Peronello. So that was that was I would say that part. was interesting. It was random, but at the same time. Not we, really. We <laughs> kind of we kind of have a feeling when something's random
0: that yeah. we're gonna be selected.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> so random. It's very random.
0: <laughs> wow. Wow, amazing. I mean just love hearing you talk about your the different roles and your background and um Your experiences. And I love what – I totally agree about uh, mentorship and for anybody – women, anybody of minority, people of color, students of color, it's so, so, so important. So important. And I just heard about this term imposter syndrome a few years ago and I was like, Mm. oh my gosh, there's a term for this. That was me a few years ago. And I was like (laughs) – And so we have to realize it Mm -hmm. that we start
1: to actually just repeat what – the stereotype is, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And it also leads to something called stereotype threat. And, it, mm. and you know, for right now, um, I was at Kettering where the demographic group, it's engineering. So it was, you know, 82% male and only 8% students of color, right? And then three years ago, I went to Marygrove College, which is mm. a small liberal arts college um, and in Detroit, where which is about 80% students of color and about 70% women right so looking wow. at a very different demographic group um and so i really started building upon my own experience as a woman in stem understanding then how this connects really to students of color and my own children right um uh, students of color of any uh minority demographic group religious such as muslims or um students of uh, the jewish faith and so I started as an educator looking more into uh, how can we close that gap, that the achievement gap? How can we provide all students what, what they need to thrive? And so one of the things I went to Morehouse and Spellman during my fellowship, mm-hmm. which was really profound experience for me to understanding, which really led me to accept the position at Marygrove, Um if you've heard, have you heard of Morehouse and Spelman? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it was one of our visits. We I went to over 25 different um, campuses as part of my fellowship, as well as doing my placement at Harvey Mudd College. But when I was at Morehouse and we were doing a cohort visit, that's when the cohort, um, we go together. We went to Atlanta. And I was at Morehouse, which is a historically black college for um, African-American men. And we were sitting at the table with all the leadership. And then we all had our own learning goals, and I was studying faculty on um, professional development and so we w- I went into another um, I went into another room, and there was a, a male and a female professor and The female professors told me, "I am the first woman professor at Morehouse College because a Morehouse man needs to be able to work for a woman and just the idea mm-hmm. that an entire campus is built in order to support and provide the community and the education for a specific demographic group and how powerful that is, that really Mm -hmm. led me to think about um, accepting when I was recruited to Marygrove to apply for their national search. But then as I, w- I went back to Morehouse before going and I talked to some of the faculty there who are doing research in this area, um. so even above stereotype threat, th- uh, sorry, above imposter syndrome, there's something called stereotype threat. Mm. And this is something that happens to students, and we're actually looking at it. Um, We're doing a three-year initiative so far in closing the Achievement Cap in Bloomfield Hills. And this is when any minority student, it. there's only so much... Room that your brain can take while you're learning, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And you need to have the sense of belonging. Um, And our leadership services, um, assistant uh, assistant superintendent is really is really talking about how the brain works, and you have to have a sense of belonging to really be able to learn well. But when you are are under anxiety, for example, if we have a young um, man of color, and he knows there's a stereotype about young men of color. Right, And when the teacher is looking at him, he's so worried or his brain is spending so much time being anxious about that he's going to be judged based upon the stereotype that it takes away his time and his energy from actually learning, right? And so yeah. how is it that we can provide education in a way that every student – this is just one example mm-hmm. – but that all students can have that sense of belonging, can be have a learning environment which really promotes learning – So that all students can rise to their potential. So it's really become quite a theme to me and a mission in my life. Uh, Looking back on my own experience, of course, Mm -hmm. um, and having some of my students would say I had one student, um, uh, she did a a co-op at um, Mexico and they would tell her like, oh, you're a girl. Don't touch that. She's an engineer. Don't uh, touch that. You'll break (laughs) it. Don't touch that. And it actually started to affect her. Right. So looking at my own students and things that they went through in engineering, you can really generalize that and see that all students, we really um, need to be able to provide them the community because it takes a community. Right. Takes Mm -hmm. a village to raise a child, the community and the resources and the um, the environment so they can really do their best. And so that our, you know, the world really has the best minds and educated in the best way so that. Um, it can be the
0: as sustainable as possible. Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, even looking at research um, and um, facts and statistics on bullying, the effect of the school climate is so important. So and important. One of the key features to mitigate the effects of bullying is the uh, student-teacher relationship. Exactly. Very, very important.
1: And that's it's it's very important. So, uh, student-teacher relationship. Um, and uh, everyday examples. So the other thing that happened besides Mm. the student-teacher relationship and mentoring and organizational goals, the other thing is that we were just talking before we started about maybe the different socialization in toys between girls and boys. Mm. Well, this can actually cause gaps. One example is spatial visualization. So Mm. we can test for spatial visualization, and And we can see that the toys that boys play with actually can provide better spatial visualization skills um, than the toys that girls might be um, playing with. Um, But we can Mm. test it and we can actually teach it to them. Mm. But we have to catch it, know that this is a problem. Right. Because Mm -hmm. think about engineering. You have to be able to see things in your mind from different Mm -hmm. aspects. And so actually the toys that children play with can make a difference. But we also as educators need to understand that not all students are coming from the same background. So when we give it when we give examples, we need to be thinking about what is the learn? What is the socialization and the the um the experiences that students have had before they come to us, and then we have to connect our the next level of learning to that. So I had a student, I had a professor of physics, and she was talking about, she understood this exactly. She said that when she was coming um, through school, in, um, and she came from India here, and she's Hindu, and the professor was talking about the difference if you spin an egg, if it was boiled or not boiled, Well, she's a vegetarian. She never boiled an egg. She never saw Mm -hmm. that if you spin an egg, it's going to spin differently. Mm -hmm. And so she had no connection to what the professor was trying to teach her because Mm. she didn't have that experience. This is just one example that if we're we're socializing students and they're coming from different backgrounds, right, and different experiences, we got to, as educators, make sure we're connecting to their experience and not just the experience that we ourselves had Mm. because it might be different. And this
0: is also another very important key to learning. Wow. Fascinating. Well, before we wrap up, um, I did want to ask you, well, it's just, it, again, it's been so interesting. And I can tell that you're so passionate about so many different things, especially <laughs> education and yeah. mentorship and women in STEM. So this is just, this conversation's um, giving uh, much more than I expected. It's really amazing. <laughs> um, I really hope that our uh, listeners tune in and... Um, really kind of learn from your experience and your passion. Um, but lastly, I guess, you know, your um, son, as we mentioned, Abdul, is running for governor. And yes. that's a pretty big deal in your family, as I can pretty imagine. Yeah. <laughs> and so I was just going to ask you, just wanted to end off with like, how has that experience been like for you as a parent and family member? And, you know, just I can only imagine you're already so proud of him as a Rhodes Scholar and just as a good, very intelligent, but giving humble human being Mm -hmm. and um just you know how has that been though to see him take this extra Mm -hmm. huge leap um but you know being so well received though too from i think so many in the state
1: he's very courageous i think and uh i guess the first thing is he doesn't have to run for governor for us to be proud of him As as you mentioned uh mashallah he's just um beyond our our imagination and Abdul is someone who always has I mean he's just so intelligent and he has such goodwill that he's been able to connect and bring people together Um, and his intelligence really helps him not only cognitively but emotionally Mm -hmm. to be able to understand the big picture and so he's gone way beyond we would never think about the Rhodes Scholar or MD PhD and all these things right so, but as far as so so, I think he would be a wonderful governor, and we would all be very blessed um, uh, for him to become the governor. The experience for us is is a couple things. Is first of all, Abdul is always surprising us, <laughs> so it's almost like the norm for us that he's going to surprise us with something that's that's fascinating and that he wants to really make a difference in the world, and so. But the other thing is, the second thing is, not everybody knows that we, in our everyday life, that this El Sayed equates to that El Sayed. And so it takes some time, sometimes for people to even know Hmm. that we are actually (laughs) parents to him. And uh, the other thing is that uh, Abdul's really good at looking out for us and, in general, everyone, right? So he can see things. Way down the line of things that might come up, and so he talks to us about it and gives us the big picture, so we can be comfortable. And 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 so he's he's always looking out for us as he's looking out for everyone, right? So it's been um, it's been fascinating, and I, what I'm really I'm just really proud of the man he's become. I'm really proud that he wants to give back this way and I I, I want to be supportive and we as a family want to be as supportive as we can um, because he would be a fantastic governor. Wow. Yes, so. I hope so.
0: Inshallah. And I agree. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate you being here and sharing your story and your stories and just so many areas of expertise and passion. Um, uh, it's really been inspirational, and I I really like actually what you said too about even even finding a mentor into your forties. Because sometimes I feel like I've had mentors, but you know they kind of come and go with the medical training so too. Important. But yeah. it's like, am I? You know, and I think you can use one at every stage of life. And so that so I really important. like how you said that. Not done with the learning by any means. <laughs> Keep okay, going into my forties soon. <laughs> Um, but the thank best you is so yet much. to come. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I hope so. But again, thank you so much for your time. My pleasure. Thank and you for having here. me. Oh, it was definitely a pleasure. I'm so happy and really so humbled and excited to share your voice. Um, and thank you to our listeners for joining us again here on Unsung Heroes. And again, just want to remind you to please like our Facebook page where you can get updates and links for the episodes as they come up. Um, and thank you again. Share. Um, Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, or you can hear us on SoundCloud, Google Play, and, of course, the website, www.podcastdetroit.com. Just look under the Shows tab and find Unsung Heroes. We have quite a few shows here now on the network, so you might have to go scroll down for a while to find this one, but we're there. Um, But, again, want to thank you, Jess, for being here. And My pleasure. (laughs) I
1: I could have easily listened to you talk all day.
0: (laughs) Oh, this is amazing. Thank yeah. you so much. Thank you again, and um, Dr. Jackie, Jacqueline, I'll say it, and, um, and hope to have you all next time in another episode of Unsung Heroes. Bye.